The countdown is officially at 13 days, which I know some of y'all are gasping a little bit because you're thinking through all the things you need to do in the next 13 days. But 13 days from now, around this time, and probably a little earlier, especially if you're in my household, people will be in living rooms. And they're gonna be in living rooms doing the same thing. We're gonna take some of those blessings, those gifts, and we're gonna share it with loved ones. And in most households that have kids, and I hope you'll be privileged to be around children, whether it be your kids, your grandkids, those living rooms that are filled with kids on Christmas morning, a couple things always happen. It's always the same. First of all, there's excitement from the children, which is predictable. Kids are going to get excited as they open up those gifts. They are counting down the days with us, and they're looking forward to that moment of receiving those gifts. But the second thing that will happen is the adults in that living room will also be excited because there's a great blessing that comes from giving the gift and parents grandparents will be thrilled in that room it'll be a moment of celebration but what will come with that excitement is adults will not only give those toys they're going to start playing with those toys with children and have you ever noticed in living rooms when families come together grown-ups adults those of us that are in this room When we interact with our children, grandchildren, we always interact the same way when we start playing with those toys. We don't stay way up here. We always come way down there. Living rooms will be filled with parents and grandparents on the floor, playing with their kids, interacting with them. And why do we do that? No one teaches us in the parent handbook that we have to get on the floor with our kids. But why do we do that instinctively? It's because if we stayed way up here all the time, our kids could never see the love in our eyes. So we come down to their level so they can see us and they can know us and that they can see the love in our eyes as we meet them right where they're at. 2,000 years ago, God came down to our level so that we could see the love in his eyes. And isn't that interesting? That's what makes Christianity different than every other religion. Every other religion is man's attempt at trying to get up to God. Christianity teaches that God came down to us. And Jesus Christ is worthy of our celebration for that fact. That the word became flesh. And God came down, love came down to our level so we can know him and experience him. And today we're going to celebrate that truth, but not only are we going to celebrate that God came down, today we're going to celebrate how he came down. Because it's amazing enough that God came down and he wants us to know him. But when you look at the imperfect circumstances that surrounded his arrival here on this earth, it's astounding. Because how did God come down to our level? He came amidst really an emergency delivery in a town far away from his parents' hometown, not with just a huge welcome crew and a parade. It really was a bunch of smelly animals and a couple scared young parents, and that was it. And God came down to our level amidst imperfect circumstances, and he wants to remind you today that whatever imperfect circumstances you find yourself in, he'll come down and meet with you again today, that he'll meet with you right where you're at and Jesus entered into human history in that way so that we could know undisputedly that he loves us and today he loves you and he wants to meet you amidst whatever imperfect circumstances you brought into this room 
And we can know he will because of the way the Christ came into this world. So if you have your Bible, join me in Luke. Luke chapter two, we're pivoting. Last week we were in Matthew. This week we're going to Luke. Luke chapter two, which is arguably the most famous chapter in the Bible. We're gonna look at those imperfect circumstances surrounding Christ's arrival, beginning in verse one. We're told in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. So we're told a decree went out, but there's a character that's introduced into the story that we have not talked about up to this point. Someone named Caesar, Caesar Augustus. And of course, in history, as you know, Rome is in rulership and authority over Israel at this time, and we're introduced to the emperor, Caesar Augustus. Now, Caesar Augustus, you could argue, was actually the most influential leader of the Roman Empire across all of their history. In fact, that name Augustus means honored, esteemed, revered. And Augustus was revered and esteemed and honored because he really ushered into a time of peace and prosperity that Rome formerly did not know. For years, they had all these civil wars, and then when Augustus began to reign, suddenly there was peace, and he ushered in what was known as the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome, where for about two centuries, they rose in prosperity, and everything was great, things are going well, and he was the leader that took them to that place. And we're told Caesar, the emperor of Rome, issued a decree. And what's the decree? It's that everybody has to go get registered. The government, the red tape's coming down on the people, and we're told a census is coming. And these censuses would come periodically for different purposes, whether it be taxes or military purposes. This was most likely for tax purposes because the Jews were exempt from military service. But Caesar issues a decree saying everyone has to go get registered for taxation reasons, but he says they have to go to a certain place. He says to their own hometown. Then you enter into the picture, Mary and Joseph. Because if you were here last week, we looked at the imperfect parents in this perfect Christmas story. And you remember where we left off, where they were in. They were in Nazareth. And if you weren't here last week, we learned about Mary and Joseph. And Mary gets this news in Luke chapter 1. She meets with Gabriel, and he's told, he tells her, rather, that God has put his favor on her. And though she is a virgin, she's going to have the Christ enter into her womb through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and that she will raise the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. And then she runs off, if you remember, to Elizabeth's house for three months, trying to process that news. And then she comes back, and we're told in Matthew 1, Joseph sees that she's with child, and he's not happy. He's actually sad. You remember he was thinking, I have to now divorce her. My whole life's changed. This isn't going to go the way I wanted it to. But then he also has an angel speak to him. We talked about that last week and said, don't be afraid. Mary, Mary, raise that child as your own and name him Jesus, for he will be the Savior of the world. So we're told they did that. You remember last week, we're told that he did take her to be his wife, though he did not know her, we're told in Matthew 1, 25, until after Jesus was born. So they're still betrothed, but yet married. They just haven't consummated the marriage yet. And he stands by her, and then they get this decree. And some time has passed. She's getting close 
It's time for the baby to come. They've endured a whole lot of gossip in Nazareth as Joseph has married this pregnant wife that's been gone with a kid that they presume is not his and some other man they don't know. The gossip train's been going around in circles. People are judging them, and suddenly they get news from their governing authority. We gotta go to Bethlehem. We gotta go to Bethlehem. We gotta get registered for this census. Now, before we talk about the road trip and the imperfect circumstances that are gonna come, I want you first to consider why. Why did they go to Bethlehem? You might say, Jonathan, you already told us. It's because Augustus said so, and that is true. He said they had to go to their hometown. David is a son of David, so he's going back to Bethlehem to be registered. But that's not the only reason why they're going. They're truthfully going to Bethlehem because God wanted them in Bethlehem. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, the prophet Micah, some 700 years before, he had given a promise that the Messiah would come, but he'd come in a specific location. In Micah 5, 2, we're told, But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel." Bethlehem is a small town. He says, you little town that's really insignificant. The only thing that truthfully had happened of major significance was David was from Bethlehem. But who is Christ? He's a son of David, as we talked about. And we're promised that the son of David, the king of kings, would come from the same place of that Davidic dynasty of Bethlehem. And Micah gets the word that this is where he's going to come from. And in fact, Bethlehem means house of bread. And God had orchestrated and promised that the bread of life, Jesus Christ, would come through this house of bread, Bethlehem. And he said it was going to be that way 700 years before. So God had to get them to Bethlehem. But what I find is so amazing is how did he get them to Bethlehem? He didn't send an angel. He could have done that. He certainly sent Gabriel to give a bunch of other news. He could have sent a messenger and said, hey guys, go to Bethlehem. God said so. That's where he promised to send this son. You have to deliver there. But God didn't send an angel. He sent a Caesar. He sent a Caesar to do his will. That yes, Caesar made the decree, but God is in charge. And God is orchestrating and using this emperor for his own sovereign purposes to bring peace to the world. And he brought Christ that way because he wanted to remind you and I of this fact. That earthly kings rule, but only God reigns. Earthly kings rule, but only God reigns. He says Caesar's ruling, he's governing. But he says, I'm the one in charge. He's issuing that decree because I made him. I wanted him to. I actually sovereignly reigned above all these circumstances, and you're going to Bethlehem not for political reasons, it's for spiritual reasons, that God is using governing authorities to accomplish his perfect purposes for the world, including bringing in the Christ. In Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1, we're told that the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. In Romans chapter 13, verse 1, Paul echoes the same sentiments. He says that all of our governing authorities aren't there by chance. He says they're placed there by God. And God puts those authorities, and God has used bad authorities and good authorities to accomplish his perfect purposes all throughout human history. And the Bible testifies to that fact. If you think about in Genesis, 
When God needs to preserve Israel, how does he preserve Israel before it even became a great nation? Through a Pharaoh. That he sends Joseph and he leads Pharaoh to elevate Joseph to preserve his people. And God uses a pagan king to bring good purposes to this world. And if you think about the Babylonians, God sends Nebuchadnezzar. He chose Nebuchadnezzar to be an instrument to bring judgment and punishment to Israel and discipline. And God sent Nebuchadnezzar to accomplish those purposes. God sent Cyrus to send Israel back out of exile. God sent Xerxes to send Nehemiah to bring back the wall and the glory of Jerusalem. And God sent Caesar to issue a decree that would get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. And that's so encouraging. That's such good news for you and me. Because sometimes we elevate our earthly kings a little too high. Sometimes we think they're in charge. And God says, they all work for me. All of them. Every single one of them. And no king can stop God's purposes for this world. In fact, they all just kind of fall in line. A few weeks ago, I told y'all I went to state parks. I braved a trip with my family all in one RV. We went in an RV. We'd never done this before. I shared this a few weeks ago. And we learned some rookie lessons. But as we finally got to one of the state parks, we went to two, we got to one called Garner State Park. And some of y'all have heard of Garner State Park. It's a beautiful big state park in Concan, right in the heart of the hill country. Frio River runs through it. It was pretty much as close to fall colors as you can find in the state of Texas. But we were down there, we were having a great time at Garner State Park. And I remember I asked the question eventually, who is Garner? Which some of y'all might be thinking the same thing. Some of y'all already know that because you're smarter than me. I did not know who Garner was. So I asked somebody, who's Garner? What's this place named after? And I found out there was a politician, Cactus Jack Garner. John Nance Garner was his formal name. And I didn't know who Garner was, so I did a little research and asked others, well, who was he? Well, I found out that he was a native of that region from Uvalde. And he started his career as a politician, then he moved up to become the county judge, and then he moved on to become a state legislator. Then he moved on from that to become a congressman. And as a congressman, he then became the Speaker of the House. And then I found out, and frankly, I was a little embarrassed, I didn't know, he was the vice president for FDR for two terms. So he was a big authority from right there in that area. So they named the park after Cactus Jack Garner. Now, as I learned that, Speaker of the House, Vice President, local Texan, all this stuff. And I realized I didn't know who he was. Some of you are thinking, Jonathan, you're dumb. You should have known who he was. But I would dare say a lot of you didn't know who he was either. And it reminds me of a fact. Earthly kings only rule for a little bit of time. Only for a little bit of time. I mean, you think about who he is. So often we focus on speakers of the houses, presidents, vice presidents, as if they're these immovable sovereign figures. The truth is they do move out of the way and then they're forgotten. But there's one king who reigns over all generations forever and ever, amen. And be careful this Christmas that you don't focus on the wrong king. So easily we get all entangled about earthly kings that are only ruling for a short season and they'll be forgotten in a few decades. But you know who's never going to be forgotten? 
The same who is the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, Jesus Christ. And God wants you to know that this Christmas. He reigns, He's in control, He's in power, and you trust it. And He showed that with the sending of Jesus, but then He shows it with the circumstances that surrounded the delivery. Go back to the text in verse 4. We're told Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because... There was no place for them in the inn. So Joseph receives the decree through Caesar, but under the authority of a sovereign God to go to Bethlehem. So Joseph goes. He's being a good citizen. And he takes his wife on an uncomfortable trip that went at least 70 miles to get him to Bethlehem. And they're heading that direction, and we're told she was betrothed. You remember, he did marry her, but they hadn't consummated the marriage. They hadn't had any kids yet. And it says Jesus is her firstborn. She gave birth as a virgin. She did have other children after that firstborn. They did consummate the marriage. Matthew 1.25 says that. Since the Roman Catholic, some will teach you that she stayed a virgin forever. Mary and Joseph actually eventually did consummate. And they did have a family according to Matthew 1.25 and John 7.5. There's a whole lot of kids that started coming. Half-brothers of Jesus. Half-sisters. But at this point, they had not consummated. They're heading that direction, uncomfortable journey, and they're heading there, and it says, the time came. Did you catch it? We're told in verse six that the time came for her to give birth. Now, I read that, and I think, that's the worst time for that to come. If you're thinking about that from Mary's perspective, Mary's heading to a town away from her family, We're told that there's nowhere for her to deliver. In fact, they went to an inn and there was not enough room. So she was placed out there somewhere with animals because we know there's a manger, a feeding trough. Historically, some have assumed it was a stable. In fact, in the second century, going all the way back to the second century, there's Jewish tradition that perhaps it was in a cave is where Jesus came into this world. Wherever it was, it was not pretty. It was not nice. It was far away from family. They were out there in Bethlehem by themselves with a bunch of smelly animals and were told the time came. I can't even put my mind around that because when I go on a road trip in my truck, I don't like it when the time comes to go to the bathroom and there's not a Bucky's near. I'm like, no, Lord, no, 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 we can't do this. My family says we need to go to the bathroom. Hold on, Bucky's is coming. We're not going to Texaco. You hold it for a little while. Hold on. We're going to hold it because I'm not going to pull over for some gross gas station. We're going to Bucky's. <laughs> and none of us want to be inconvenienced in this life. For us, we would say, that's pretty bad news. The time came. Baby has to show up. You might have to give birth in a cave or a stable around a bunch of smelly animals without your family. Yet this was what God's plan was for her. That God wasn't late. He wasn't early. What he's teaching us is our second point today. It's that God's timing's always perfect. It's always perfect. Mary goes into birth, she's giving birth, goes into delivery right there in a place with no room and uncomfortable circumstances far away from family. And it's not because God messed up. 
because God's timing is always perfect. The problem is sometimes it doesn't feel very perfect. It doesn't always feel that way because the circumstances might not be comfortable. When Matt and I went actually to Nashville, and we went to Nashville for the Southern Baptist Convention back in June, I remember we were there, and we got on an airplane. We were heading back, and I'm all about timing, as is Matt. We like being on time. We want to go to according to a schedule. So we got to the airport, did all our deal, got there early. We got on the flight. We'd already sat there for a long time. We get on the airplane, and as we got on that airplane, I remember it felt a little weird walking in. And the reason why is the temperature was just a little high. It was a little bit up. I was thinking, this doesn't feel very good, but it's okay. We're getting settled in, buckling in. And then the plane's not moving, and the flight attendants aren't coming out, giving instructions. We're just all kind of sitting there, and we're progressively getting hotter and hotter on this airplane. Then finally, someone comes on the intercom and says, you might have noticed, passengers, unfortunately, the temperature's a little hot in here. We actually have some mechanics that are working on the air conditioning right now. Please stand by. We'll get out of here as soon as we can. Well, I watch my clock, and it's been 15 minutes, nothing, just getting hotter. 30 minutes, it's feeling like a sauna. 45 minutes, we're not moving. And then finally, then someone comes back on to the intercom, and they say, hey, it's us again. We're still working on it. We know it's getting hot back there, and you're all sweating, but mechanics are working on it. We don't have any update. You can get off, but if you get off the airplane, you can't get back on. They said, you're stuck. So you're stuck here and you can find another flight or you can stay here and we're going to get you out soon as we can. So we just sat there sweating profusely, taking off layers. Everybody's uncomfortable, cranky, and I hated every minute minute of it because I couldn't control anything. I couldn't make that plane take off. And I didn't like how uncomfortable I was. None of us did. We were sweating bullets. It was not fun. And I wanted that plane to take off but I couldn't control one bit of it. And some of you are in uncomfortable positions right now, and it's because things aren't taking off the way you want. Some of you might say, my business isn't taking off the way I want it to. And the economics of our country and inflation and all these different issues, you're saying things are hard right now. It's not taking off the way I want it to. For some of you, your family's not taking off the way you want it to. Some are still looking for a spouse, wondering where that person is and why God's not delivering him or her. Some are awaiting a pregnancy and been praying and waiting and it's not happening. Some people, their job's not taking off. They've been stuck in the same position. They haven't promoted. They haven't moved up to that next spot. For some, maybe it's your kids won't take off. They're stuck at home and you're trying to launch them out into society. For some, maybe it's that politician won't take off and you have somebody stuck there that you don't like we all sometimes get stuck but it's important for you to remember God's timing is always perfect it's always perfect sometimes it just doesn't feel that way and for Mary and Joseph it didn't feel that way yet we're told biblically they were in the exact place they were supposed to be Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 has a really encouraging verse that I think we all need to be reminded this Christmas. We're told that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. I love the way Paul said, he said, when the fullness of time had come, Christ came into this world. 
Christ didn't come on an urgent emergency delivery. Instead, God said, yep, this is exactly how I planned it to be, right now. In fact, Ephesians chapter 1 says, before the foundation of the world, God had chosen when he was going to send his son. And Jesus reminded us while he was on this earth, the Father has already appointed a time for the son to return. And God is never late, he's never early, he's always on time. His timing's perfect. The hard part is sometimes it just doesn't feel that way. But Mary and Joseph trusted. They said, yes, my circumstances aren't perfect. Maybe things aren't going the way I want it to go, but God has a purpose for this. And this Christmas, that might be the lesson for you. Maybe things aren't going the way you want it to. Your finances and your health and your family. And you might be saying, God, where are you? And he's saying, I'm right here. I'm right here with you. And he had purposes for Mary and Joseph in that setting, and he has purposes for you in whatever imperfect circumstance you're in. But there is good news if you are stuck in a place you don't want to be stuck in. It's our final point today. Jesus will meet you in imperfect circumstances. Say, Jonathan, I'm not in a good place. I'm in a place I don't want to be. The good news is Christmas tells us Jesus will meet you right there wherever you're at. I love how Jesus came into this world because he didn't demand to be delivered into some pristine, perfect hospital with a doctor that had high reviews online, even though that's the way I would want all my kids to be delivered. No, Jesus came in a moment in history, in a moment in time, to an uncomfortable setting, to a couple scared parents. There was not a parade of political figures and ruling authorities. The red carpet wasn't rolled out. Instead, a horse trough was given to the Son of God. And he's showing Mary and Joseph in the world that he'll meet with us anywhere. He'll meet with us anywhere. And for some of you, maybe you need to meet with the Lord this season. And you might not be in a pretty place. For some of you, maybe you are in a dysfunctional family. Things aren't right. You're actually stressed about Christmas because you know it's not gonna be good. Some of you, maybe you're stressed about Christmas because you don't have that loved one. Maybe you lost someone this year. We've all experienced loss over COVID to some degree whether it be through people or just through circumstances. And maybe right now you have imperfect things surrounding you. Maybe you spent a year running away from the Lord and God says, I want to meet with you this Christmas. Maybe you've been going the wrong direction and he says, I'm ready to meet with you where you're at. You might say, my house is a mess. He says, I'd love to meet you there. You might say, my kids aren't behaving. I'd love to help you with that. My marriage is a mess. I came down to enter into it. Jesus wants to meet with you wherever you're at. That's why God came down to our level. And he says, you don't have to clean up your act. He'll just meet you wherever you're at. There's a verse that's in Philippians chapter 2, and Paul reminds us of, this, of these sentiments. In verse 6, we're told that though he was in the form of God, Jesus, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born into the likeness of men. That's the beauty of the gospel, is Christ came to serve, not to be served. And he came and he emptied himself, setting aside his own interest, being born in the likeness of men. And he wanted to show you that he's ready to meet with us. And he's ready to meet with you today. And my question is, does God feel up there, far off and distant 
let Christmas remind you that God wants to come down and meet you right there on your level. He wants you to look into his eyes, experience the love of Jesus Christ this Christmas season, and you don't have to clean things up first to receive him. He says, I'll meet you wherever you're at. God wants to come down and meet with you today. My question is, will you invite him into your life?